Well, hello on this beautiful Bookie Tuesday morning. I'm excited to join you for this, our second ever Book Choice Publisher's Choice edition, here on Fine Music Radio. My name is Paige Nick, and I think we have a magnificent show lined up for you. Whether you've always got your nose in a book, or perhaps you like to give books as gifts, or maybe you're a sometimes reader, or you have read more, scroll less on your to-do list, If you fit any of those profiles, or even if you just like a bit of fine music punctuated by fine chat, you're tuned into the right station at exactly the right time. On today's show, we welcome a few big-name publishers who will be joining us to give us a bit of insight into their behind-the-scenes lives and the books they're publishing right now. They'll be bringing us reviews, interviews with authors, bloggers, vloggers, and TikTokers, as well as info on upcoming launches and must-reads. We'll also be joined by some of our regular reviewers telling us what they've been reading this last month. On today's show, we'll be covering fiction, non-fiction, TikTok fiction, and everything in between. First on the show, we're bringing you a host of new reads from the world's largest English trade publisher, Penguin Random House. These guys publish some of the world's most famous authors, and some who are soon to be the world's most famous authors. In fact, one of their young authors just won the coveted Sunday Times Literary Award for Fiction, Chidiso Molizane took home the fiction prize for a book called Junks. That's J-U-N-X. Junks. Judges called this debut novel a tour de force, bold, raw, and surprisingly elegant gonzo-style writing. So huge congratulations from all of us here at Book Choice to the author, editor, publisher, and everyone else involved in this brave debut voice. I've read Junks, and it's something really different. It's young, super South African, and very muscular and sweaty. It was a breathless read. Junks is a brave story. It begins at a party in Dobsonville. It starts with a guy sharing a joint with Ari, who is his imaginary friend, angel and demon. And then the roller coaster of a night begins. Stolen cars, brothels, sex, drugs and anxiety. It's a trip of a book. It's not only exciting, but pokes cheekily and bluntly at the South Africa we live in. I would say this book would make a great gift for the young, hip, woke reader in your life. But enough from me. Let's hear from our publishers, shall we? I'm going to hand over now to our award-winning friends at Penguin Random House. Welcome Viz Chetty, sales manager at Penguin Random House, bringing us the best of Penguin's current fiction, non-fiction, and children's books. Thank you, Paige. Thank you for having me once again on the show. I really enjoyed doing it the last time. I'm going to talk about some titles coming up in the next uh, summer out now. Some are coming up towards the end of the month and the middle of the month. And these are all going into the holiday season. So I've picked titles that I think people would love to read during the holidays or when you take your little break. And I've got five really excellent titles which you can look at this November. All right, so starting off, we're going to start off with some local nonfiction. It's a title that we're very proud of. It's by Mabel Sitole and Richard Calland. The book is called The Presidents. And as you would imagine, it is about our presidents. So the five presidents since Mandela up until our current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, and everyone in between. So it's a fantastic book on each of their presidencies, what it stood for. You know, the book talks about not what is wrong, but rather maybe what went wrong. So the authors were very fair to the presidents and considered everything that has happened around them and issues that they may have had to deal with in their time as the president. It's a really fascinating look back in history. And there's no other book on the market at the moment that has tackled this sort of subject in this way, where we've covered all five presidents. So have a look. It's on the shelves now, The Presidents by Richard Calland and Mabel Sitole. It's got a wonderful jacket with all five of them on the cover, so you can't miss it. 
All right. So that's my pick for local nonfiction. And then local fiction, got a fantastic book called Across the Kalapani by Shevlin Motai. So the year is 1909, four women just about to embark from Madras to Natal to basically work on the cane fields. They've been made a lot of promises. They, you know, they've been told that the caste system doesn't exist in South Africa. Money grows on trees and milk and honey and all that. So they are willing to leave their life behind and come to Natal and make a new life for themselves. But each of these women come from very different backgrounds. You know, one's a widow who's just lost her husband and trying to get away from her difficult mother-in-law, to say the least. There's another woman who's literally been sold to a man who she doesn't even know as part of a debt that her family owed to him and so on. And, you know, there's really interesting bonds that form between these four women on this trip over. So when they eventually reach Natal, they are split up, but this friendship sort of pulls through. It's a wonderful historical fiction. It's got one of the most stunning covers you will see as well, so you can't miss it. The book is called Across the Kalapani with Shevlin Motai. And just as a matter of interest, her great-grandfather also did that same trip all those years ago, and that's kind of where the book originated. And he traveled with a young lady who was about 21 years old, and nobody knew who she was. She wasn't his wife, and she was a mysterious character, and she sort of forms part of this book as well. So, yeah, Across the Kalapani by Shevlin Motai, one of my local uh, fiction uh, picks for this month. Then the big one, uh, mid-November, uh, we did a great book a few years ago by Michelle Obama called Becoming, and it was a fantastic book. It, it ex- explained how she became who she was and what she had to deal with during the time of the presidency of her husband. And in this book, The Light We Carry, is a book for now. It's a book for difficult times. It's a book that's going to help you overcome trying periods. And she tries to help us and gives us just information on how we can you know, be a lot better than than we are right now, just by the light we carry and the thing that we have within us that makes us special. And it's it's sort of self-help meets inspiration and that kind of thing. I think it's going to be a huge book for us this year. We can't wait when it comes out. We've got a whole day planned on the launch of the book, which is about 14th of November. And that's Michelle Obama's The Light We Carry. You're not going to miss this one because it's going to be all over the media. The next one, The Romantic by William Boyd, as I said, promised you holiday reading this is holiday reading this man is called casual gravel ross he is a romantic that's just like the title says he's a romantic he's lived his life he's born in 1799 on the 14th of december and that's the day that george washington dies and when he's born in scotland he's immediately moved to ireland where his parents have you know they've come upon some hard times and you basically follow this man's life from beginning to end so it's a huge saga spanning different events in history fought at the battle of waterloo there's periods where he meets famous people like shelley and lord byron and the man who discovered the source of the river nile because he travels you know he travels from from Ireland to across Europe into Africa, he goes to America, and all this time he's you know he's had relationships, but because he's so impetuous and he he does things you know off the fly and he has this you know whirlwind of a lifestyle he doesn't really hold down relationships until one woman who you become quite affected by in the story it's an amazing long spanning story if you've read Ian McEwan's lessons it's sort of that if you like the book uh, Any Human Heart or The New Confessions you'd love this book I think William Boyd has gone back to what he does best which is these great fictional autobiographies and long spanning sagas and I'm glad he's back here you can't miss it it'll be out this month William Boyd The Romantic
Right. And then the last one I've got for you is Lee Child and Andrew Child, Reacher, number 27. It's not maybe quite as literary, but I think, again, holiday reading, if you just want to relax by the pool or if you're on a trip, this will be fantastic. The book starts out with Reacher. He's basically waiting at a, basically at a bus stop and he sees this guy push this woman in front of a bus and take her purse and he makes off with it. The police come around. It looks like a suicide. There's another eyewitness who says, you know, she did commit suicide, but they take his testimony over Richa, who's, you know, considered to be some sort of drifter, as usually is considered, but he knows better. Richa's on the case. He befriends a woman named Anna, and she helps him to uncover what's really going on. So it's fast-paced. It's well put together. I think, you know, since Andrew Child came on, the readers have, you know, maybe questioned the series, but from what I read, and what from a lot of people in-house in Penguin have read, this one is back to basics. This is one of the best Reacher novels done since Andrew took over. I think he's really coming into his own in the series. So that's Jack Reacher, number 27. The book is called No Plan B. It's wonderful. And that's all I've got. The last thing I just want to mention is, if you haven't downloaded the FMR app, what are you doing? Let's get on it. I think you should. I've downloaded it and I really enjoy it. So I just wanted to say to all the listeners, please download the FMR app. Thank you. For more info on the titles Viz mentioned and many other books, visit penguinrandomhouse.co.za or follow them on social media. All the great tunes for today's show were selected by Rick Everett and compiled by Dave Woods, and the musical theme they came up with for this month should help you fight the load-shedding blues, as all the tracks are bringing you more and more light. Light the way, lads. This first track coming up is You Light Up My Life, sung by Matt Monroe. I'd sit by my window Waiting for someone To sing me her song So many dreams I kept deep inside me Alone in the dark But now you've come along And you Light up my life You give me hope To carry on Light up my days And fill my nights With song Rolling at sea Adrift on Turning from home Finally a chance To say Hey I love you Never again To be all alone And you Light up my Welcome back. 
You're tuned into Book Choice, our special Publisher's Choice edition, right here on Fine Music Radio, with me, your host, Paige Nick. This is only our second ever Publisher's Choice show, and I'm excited to introduce you to more of South Africa's wonderful publishers. Up next, we welcome Jonathan Ball Publishers to the show. Jonathan Ball distribute all sorts of great international titles locally, and they also produce a host of great and also award-winning content, mostly in the non-fiction sphere. They have a really interesting segment for us today. I'm sure you've heard of TikTok, but have you heard of BookTok? So, welcome to Publisher's Choice, brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. In today's segment, the Jonathan Ball team delves into the BookTok phenomenon, which has taken the publishing industry by storm. Hi there, I'm Mariam Adams, a publicist at Jonathan Ball Publishers. And today, I'll be in conversation with our in-house BookTok enthusiast, Mika Goche a children's and YA publicist. Mika reads far and wide and has admitted to spending a little too much time online, which is why she is the perfect person to walk us through this new phenomenon known as BookTok. Since the arrival of TikTok, we have seen a shift to short-form video content, and it is taking the digital world by storm. But what does this have to do with books? Because this is such a new concept, I was hoping you could give us a one-on-one guide to all things BookTok. So over to you, Mika. Hi, Mariam. Thank you so much for having me on today. So to give you the short rundown, TikTok is a short-form video app and BookTok is a subsection on TikTok where people have shared their love for reading, built a community, and give fantastic book recommendations. The videos under the BookTok hashtag have been viewed an incredible 84 billion times. 84 billion. That is crazy to think about. But what does that mean in the context of the publishing industry? Well, with BookTok's immense popularity online, it has led to an increase in physical book sales never before seen. And it has played a great role in boosting the popularity of certain authors online. BookTok has so much cultural currency right now among young readers, and it is truly setting the agenda as to what people are reading. Have you noticed that bookstores have a BookTok section front and center now? I have, yes. But what are some of the books people are gravitating towards in these sections? Generally, BookTok can be split up into three subcategories. First, you get your steamy romantic comedies with cute cartoony covers. These books are a fun time to read, but they're also hot between the sheets. They are rated from one to five chili peppers in spiciness. The next category features high fantasy books. These books usually have a diverse cast of characters and sometimes have a romance subplot as well. And then the last category involves the books that make you ugly cry so hard at 3 a.m. that you have to film it. Colleen Hoover's book, It Ends With Us, obviously falls into that last category. The amount of crying videos I've seen is insane. Oh, wow. I must note that I'm so intrigued by this chili pepper scale, but I think that that is a conversation for another day. Can you believe, Mika, the success that Colleen Hoover has had? I recently read the sequel to It Ends With Us, and I absolutely loved it. Her books often handle heavy subject matter, while her style of writing remains fun and accessible. I mean, Colleen Hoover has been dominating the book talk space with her entire backlist of books. It's incredible to think that she's occupied six spots on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time this year. I mean, she is really, really important to the publishing space right now, but there's also a lot more to BookTok than just Colleen Hoover, though. 
Yes, indeed, indeed. And as you've mentioned, there are numerous categories, perfect for any reader. If I want to get a taste of book talk, what should I be reading and where do I start? Well, if you like steamy rom-coms, I would highly recommend The American Roommate Experiment by Elena Armas. The book features two characters forced to live as roommates in close proximity. Of course, sparks begin to fly as one of the characters is looking for inspiration for her latest romance novel. Or you could try Love on the Brain by Ali Hazelwood, which tackles feminism and strong attraction to a fellow scientist at NASA. Ooh, we love women in STEM. Yes, we do. But if you're more into fantasy, Babel by R.F. Kuang is the book you need to grab. It has the vibes of a dark library with a fireplace burning in the corner, the smell of books all around you. The book takes place at Oxford in the 1800s and follows a group of translators in a secret magic society. What more could you ask for? <laughs> if you want something to tug at your heartstrings and get you to shed a teeny weeny tear, definitely pick up Adam Silvera's The First to Die at the End. In this universe, people are notified 24 hours before they're going to die. Two boys with a strong connection don't really believe in the death cast until one of them gets the call. It's full of teenage angst. And speaking of teenage angst, if you love the Heartstopper TV show, you have to get the Heartstopper yearbook. This book is filled with adorable drawings from Alice's webcomic, never before seen in print. And of course, there's always a lot more Colleen Hoover to pick up. Oh, wow. There is definitely options for everyone. And I know my to be read pal has grown significantly after this conversation. So <laughs> thank you so much, Mika, for your time. You're welcome. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Next up, we speak to the Jonathan Ball Publishers Marketing Department about a first-of-its-kind book talk experience we hosted earlier in October. My name is Wangane Manashi. I am the Marketing Manager at Jonathan Ball Publishers. On the 7th of October, we hosted a one-of-a-kind event for our key bookstagrammers who live in and around Johannesburg at a content creator studio called Dreambox. The event was a dream come true for any book lover with good food, drinks, and of course, book-loving people. The bookstagrammers who attended our event got spoiled with very special goodie bags. In 2020, we all thought that book talk was a passing trend. However, in the last two years, we have seen that it is here to stay. In South Africa, we can't speak of book talk without giving credit to the amazing content creators known as bookstagrammers who give their time to share and create book-related content and reviews on Instagram and TikTok. The purpose of our event was to celebrate what BookTok has become in South Africa and to give thanks to all the people who have made a significant contribution towards that success. I will now hand over to my colleague, Renee, who will chat about why we as a publisher see value in supporting BookTok. I'm Renee Erasmus. I'm the social media coordinator at Jonathan Book Publishers. As a publisher, it's been important for us to jump on this trend because BookTok has been one of the biggest drivers of book sales over these last few years. While some might just see it as a fad, it would be foolish of us to dismiss its value. It's not only shown a spotlight on books that came out years ago, but also brought previously overlooked authors and genres into the spotlight. I'm especially excited about BookTok because it's creating a whole new audience of readers and brand authors. Next up, we'll hear from a couple of content creators that attended our event. My name is Talita, um, aka Darkwood Library. This is absolutely wild for me because I've only been a bookstagrammer for 11 months and 11 months in a couple days my book's anniversary is the end of October and this world and book talk and the people have completely opened my eyes. I didn't even know that this area of the world existed. 
So Jonathan Ball Publishers has invited me and a bunch of crazy bookstagrammers to take some content photos, talk about books that are super relevant to us, authors that are super relevant to us, whether they be international or local. The fact that <laughs> the fact that everybody is here content creating with the same energy and the same love of books, it just it makes 12-year-old me who thought she was reading by herself, if only I could talk to her now and tell her that there are so many people like me like us around it's just it would it would have completely changed my childhood so i'm glad that i can be a bookstagrammer with these people with jonathan ball with everybody just it's amazing and booktok what is this phenomenon so booktok <laughs> tiktok came around when everybody was obviously in lockdown and it's become such a worldwide phenomenon where people can make reels about the kind of tropes that they love the kind of authors that they love recommendations literally everything and the fact that booktok has created such a massive following for indie authors especially is wild for me like back in the day you would have had to go through like hardcore publishing houses you self-publishing was literally not an option now there are self-published authors that have become worldwide phenomenons through booktok through talking about their stories talking about their things posting it on booktok and then it just going absolutely viral so the shift in the power dynamic has gone for the better especially in regards to indie authors as a writer that gives me insane hope that one day my book will be circulating as well which is it's mind-boggling hey um well, my name is zoe so booktok i've like recently gotten onto it and it's a lot of fun because i get to like explore like more mystery books more like fiction and crime all of that's always a good like and it gets you onto more books. So with the whole event that's happening here at Dreambox today, it's just it's a lot of fun. You get to see a lot of different people come together because of a love of like books and different genres and all of that. So that's our very quick snapshot into the exciting world of book talk. If you are fully intrigued and you want to know more, I would recommend venturing onto TikTok and searching for the hashtag. Or if that's a bit daunting, next time you're at your local exclusive books, check out the BookTok section and give one of them a try. On the next JVP Publisher's Choice, our team will be taking you through some of our biggest and best holiday reads. So stay tuned. To keep up with Jonathan Ball's latest book news, event updates, new releases, visit jonathanball.co.za. You can also follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and of course, TikTok at Jonathan Ball Publishers. Or you can tune into PageCast, which is Jonathan Ball Publishers' in-house podcast bringing you the story behind the story. Hopefully more about that podcast in our next show. When it comes to planning your retirement, you don't want flowery language, you want facts. So here they are. Utilitas Retirement Center is one of the country's prestigious providers of retirement housing for three reasons. Our dedicated, proficient and professional staff, peace of mind, and we remain fully involved. Utilitas provides for all stages of retirement from independent living for over 60s to assisted care, life rights and frail care. Visit utilitas.coza where quality of life counts. Hear us, sing with us. Come and join the Symphony Choir of Cape Town as we usher in the festive season with a program of reflective and joyous music and carols by Sansons, Benjamin Britten and others. Oratorio de Nobel will take place on Saturday the 3rd of December at 7.30pm in the beautiful Lutheran Church, Strand Street. 
To sing along with the Symphony Choir of Cape Town, book your tickets now through Quicket. By the Light of the Silvery Moon, sung by Julie Andrews here on Fine Music Radio, and you're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice. If you miss any of the titles in today's show, we load the podcast of the show to our website, fmr.co.za, after the show, so you can listen to it or download it from there. Our next segment doesn't come from a publisher. Instead, we're thrilled to welcome South Africa's number one bookstore to the show. Exclusive Books has 40 branches around the country. 41 if you count the store opening in George in December. hey oh, it's a shout-out to all the readers in George. You've got good things coming. Exclusives brings joy and delight into the lives of millions of readers around the country. I'm just one of them. Butcher Bricker, General Manager, Books and Brands at Exclusive Books, joins us with a sumptuous feast of fiction from the Exclusive Books Christmas list, including some great crime, some very interesting Dion Mayo news, and the latest Kate Atkinson and Maggie O'Farrell. Who could ask for anything more? For my job, which I love, I need to read a lot. 
often books that are not of my own choosing. But when I read for my own enjoyment, it is the cozy murder that is my ultimate and most favorite indulgence. And if you've binge watched Midsummer Murders on BritBox or reread your Agatha Christie's in quick succession, you'll know what I'm talking about. The sheer escapism and comfort offered by the particular breed of cozy murders. Sure, there's a murder. We all need some action, right? At no point are you scared, nauseated, tempted to contemplate the human condition or in any way challenged to think beyond it was Colonel Mustard in the dining room with the candlestick. The context is most often tiny little villages or islets. Think serene nature shots and communities barely big enough to field a football team. But there's a murder every week, it seems. And nobody moves away, nobody packs up their kids and pots and pans and decamps somewhere safer, and nobody thinks it's weird. Most importantly, it's always neatly solved by the end of the story, not a loose end or messy conclusion in sight. Perhaps that's why we have seen, in our chaotic and post-COVID world, in the publishing world at least, the rise and rise of the cosy murder. This mix of escapism, comfort reading, it all works out in the end, and just a little intrigue to jog the brain cells, seems to be not too scary, not too tame, and in fact, just right. There were authors before her, but it really was Dame Agatha Christie, the queen of crime, who wrote 66 detective novels and 14 short stories, particularly those revolving around the very famous, now famous, Hercule Poirot, and Miss Marple. She entered the Guinness Book of Records and she's listed as the best-selling fiction writer of all time. Her novels have gone on to sell more than two billion copies. For Christmas this year, Exclusive Books has chosen to include Lucy Foley's biography of Christie, but also, and most excitingly, a compilation called Marple that contains not just one but 12 stories to solve. It's written by 12 different authors in 12 different cities with 12 different mysteries, but of course, only one marple. This magnetic anthology captures the essence of the Christie and marple duology with a touch of magic from each author in their own unique voice. During the Frankfurt Book Fair this year, I was very lucky to join the publisher, Simon & Schuster, who, by the way, was voted Publisher of the Year in the UK. I joined them for an intimate dinner, joined by their newly acquired author, Ruth Ware, whose recent book, The It Girl, is on the shelves of exclusive books. The dinner was sumptuous, mouth-watering Indian. The conversation, fascinating. From Uber affluenza in Dubai and the challenges of being a working mom to resigning prime ministers, and of course the situation in the Ukraine. The real dessert, though, was chatting to Ruth Ware about the story she contributed to Marple. Firstly, you had to be asked to contribute to this anthology. There was no volunteering with awkward rejections to follow. Portraying the iconic Marple, my favorite character of all time, was a big responsibility and there were rules to follow. The story had to follow the usual flow, pace and plotting you would have expected from a Marple story. Jane had to at all times portray the underestimated, charming, thoughtful amateur sleuth with a twinkle in her attractive blue eyes. Each writer had to preserve Marple in character. She couldn't 
take up yoga or hold unexpected out-of-character views of, or opinions that would go against her passion for justice. She also had to be old, so there was none of this young and feisty Jane Loud. And somewhere, you had to include something botanical to mirror Marple's love of her garden and all things green. Unlike Poirot, Jane had never enjoyed a Miss Marple's Christmas, so Ruth was delighted to nab Christmas as the theme for her short story. The result is a wonderful addition to the Marple stories that you know and love, and in the book Marple, you'll find 12. Iconic amateur sleuths is a genre brought right up to date with Richard Osman, the creator of the Thursday Murder Club series. Osman himself talks about his series and he says, what is the book? In an interview in the Exclusive Books catalogue, he says, what is the book that made you fall in love with reading? And he writes, ah, I think it was the famous five book by Enid Blyton. And now that I think about it, there were a gang of four amateur sleuths and a dog. So actually, all I've done with my books is turn the famous five into pensioners. This new one, The Bullet That Missed, is a rollicking read, and it will have you chuckling under your breath at the quirky antics of Joyce, my favorite, Ron, Elizabeth, and Ibrahim. It's faintly ridiculous, it's funny, all's right in the end, with smart, compassionate characters. Get hooked on this series, there's going to be more. And in the wake of the enormous success of the Thursday Murder Club books, many other publishers are following suit, creating their Thursday Murder Club versions, duplicating the look, feel, and tone of the series, and of course hoping to duplicate the staggering sales too. We saw many examples in Frank at Frankfurt. Look out for these on the shelves of exclusive books in the months to come. And if you like your crime a little more bloody, or your murder a little more nail-biting, We've also picked out the big guns, those authors who will always deliver Christmas after Christmas. John Grisham's Boys from Biloxi and Robert Galbraith's Ink Black Heart, Kay Scarpetta in Patty Cornwall's Livid and more Jack Reacher in Lee and Andrew Child's No Plan B. In the book world, we wait with bated breath for the announcement of the next Dion Mayer, usually published in Afrikaans first and then translated into English. We'll, of course, imagine hmm, our surprise when Dion announced no Dion Mayer this year. But it has given us the opportunity to highlight and showcase the authors hot on Dion's heels. Irma Fentes' Die Verkeerde Frau and Rudi van Rensburg's Duelhof are just two examples. My absolute favorite book on the list is Kate Atkinson's Shrines of Gaiety. You may remember this multi-award-winning author from behind the scenes at the museum or case histories. And this newest book has me rooting through my shelves to reread her exceptional writing. The book may not be a classic whodunit, but certainly it's a story threaded with murder and death amidst the glitz and glamour of heady 1920s New York with its speakeasies and alcohol gangsters and hitmen, glorious outfits, certainly sequins and sparkle. Nellie Coker is like a larger-than-life female version of El Capone, a dazzling nightclub queen behind all manner of shady goings-on to keep her empire safe. You will simply adore her. And then there is murder in historical fiction. Maggie O'Farrell's The Mad Marriage Portrait. Not so much a whodunit, but a why-done-it. And if you love rich historical novels, 
you will relish this one. I wanted to read to you the beginning um, setting because it sets the tone. And she writes, in 1560, 15-year-old Lucrezia de Cosimo de Medici left Florence to, began, to begin her married life with Alfonso de Est, Duke of Ferrara. Less than a year later, she would be dead. The official cause of her death was given as putrid fever, but it was rumoured that she had been murdered by her husband. This is just a taste of the Feast of Fiction on Exclusive Books Christmas list. I focused on the books that touch on murder, sometimes cosy, sometimes decidedly not. But with a list of 162 titles across every genre, fiction, biography, current affairs, sports, science, cookery, and the biggest children's selection we have ever created, there's truly something for everyone. A very happy festive season, and even happier reading. A huge thank you to Butter Bricker, General Manager of Books and Brands of Exclusive Books, if the book you seek does truly exist, all you need to do is ask at your local Exclusive Books or online at exclusivebooks.co.za. Soft lights and sweet music and you in my arms Soft lights and sweet melody Will bring you closer to me Chopin and pale moonlight reveal All your charms so give me velvet lights and sweet music And you in my arms Soft lights and sweet melody will bring you closer to me Chopin and pale moonlight reveal all your charms so give me velvet lights and sweet music and you in my that was Soft Lights and Sweet Music, sung by Pat Boone. As we head into the final segment of our show, we bring you three wonderful reviews and three wonderful reviewers back to back. Starting with Twanji Kalula, who, in an ironic twist of fate, read a book called Sabotage, Eskom Under Siege, by Carl Cohen, published by Penguin Random House SA. In a second ironic plot twist, we do love a dramatic plot twist here on Book Choice, Twanji told me that his lights went out just as he started reading it. No surprises there. So what did you make of it, Twanji? How much trouble are we really in? Or is there some light at the end of this irony tunnel? 
When I started reading Sabotage, Eskom Under Siege by Kyle Cowan, I got to the third page and boom, the lights went out. The conspiracy theorist in me was even more intrigued and I concluded that Eskom was clearly trying to sabotage my attempt to read this book. Just think about it. But jokes aside, we all know that load shedding has become an irritating and incessant part of our lives, costing our economy billions of rands amid a looming global recession. It kills our appliances, It kills jobs and it kills productivity. If you think that sinister forces are at play, as the book's broody cover suggests, the author definitely agrees with you. Kyle Cohen is an award-winning investigative journalist at News24 who has spent many months reporting on ESCOM, combing through reams of data and chatting to the various role players who are trying to keep the lights on. In Sabotage, he explains why ESCOM is under siege, from physical acts of sabotage around the country to grueling boardroom battles. Through exclusive interviews with the current key executives at ESCOM, Andre Dureta and Jan Olberholzer, Cowan explains why the task of turning ESCOM around is way bigger than merely sorting out a few technical issues. Dureta and Olberholzer have faced an onslaught of attacks from all angles since they took up the least desirable executive jobs in corporate South Africa. Like many large state-owned organizations, At ESCOM, a culture of entitlement and greed underpins many of the problems that persist. With billions at stake and the inevitable political interference that always follows the money, corruption and tender fraud have created governance issues throughout the organization. This has led to billions of rands being flushed down the drain. By way of example, one contract revealed that a roll of one-ply toilet paper set ESCOM back over 50 rand. In plain English... Cowan manages to explain the technical aspects of load shedding and why we have found ourselves in this crisis in the first place. He also touches on the subtle acts of sabotage that are ordered to score political points and protect dubious tenders and value chains. From damaged generation units to accusations of racism and improper dealings, the author argues that ESCOM is under siege. From damaged generation units to accusations of racism and improper dealings, the author argues that ESCOM really is under siege, and its customers, the businesses and citizens of South Africa, are powerless. Beyond the current executives, there are various big names like President Cyril Ramaphosa, Gwede Mantashe, Praveen Godan, and the embattled ESCOM boss Matsela Koko, who make cameo appearances. That said, if you're looking for a star-studded tell-all, this book is not it, despite what the cover suggests. Critics may argue that the book is very skewed towards painting the current executives in a positive light, and one can't shake off that it is. But in fairness to the author, many of the villains mentioned declined to comment. That said, I did walk away with greater compassion for the good guys who spend almost half their time navigating the political challenges and disciplinary hearings instead of tackling the material issues at hand. As a taxpayer, it is an infuriating read. If you're looking to read a book on ESCOM that tells you that everything will be okay, unfortunately, this is definitely not it. If you're looking for salacious details, you will also be disappointed. That said, if you're interested in understanding how we found ourselves here, why load shedding persists, and what needs to happen to ensure that load shedding becomes a thing of the past, this book truly is enlightening. Written with the structure and the pace that only a skilled investigative journalist can, this book delivers a long-form overview of our current energy crisis. On that note, reading the book reminded me how lucky we are to have such a free press where journalists can ask bold and uncomfortable questions and hold leaders to account. 
Sabotage, Eskom Under Siege by Carl Cowan was published by Penguin Random House and retails for 287 rand. Thank you, Twanji. You're always interesting and always clued into what readers of non-fiction are looking for. You light up my life. And now we tune into Beryl Eichenberger, who read the new one from Celeste Nge. It's called Our Missing Hearts. Celeste Nge is the best-selling author of Little Fires Everywhere, which was made into a blockbuster movie with Reese Witherspoon. Remember that one? This new one, which I have read, is a fascinating deep dive into a possible, although quite dystopian, America. I was lucky enough to see this author speaking at the Cheltenham Literary Festival in October, and her insights into this book were quite remarkable. When asked, she said she didn't think the book was dystopian, as it was a possible future for us. I really hope not. Welcome, Beryl. Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng is the third novel by this talented author, but the first that I had read. It evoked feelings of discomfort as I relived those moments of being different in a society that wants us to be homogenous and not heterogeneous. It reminded me of how easy discrimination is spread. Think of the pandemic and the anti-Chinese sentiment and the ease into which many slipped into racist remarks. It reminded me of 60s protest songs and poems that we have all listened to or reacted to within our lives. But most of all, it reminded me of the injustices of governments who separated children from their families as a means of political control. Even in our so-called civilized world, daily injustices regarding indigenous peoples or peoples fleeing war are prevalent, and we are all too aware of the broken societies in which we live. Fear is something that many people live with on a daily basis. And it is fear that drives this compelling story, as disquieting as it is familiar. We are in an America of the future. For a decade, lives have been governed by laws written to preserve American culture, and 12-year-old Bird Gardner lives a quiet existence with his loving but broken father, Ethan, a former linguist who now shelves books in Harvard's library, but whose love of words underlines the power they hold and become his defense. Unpatriotic books, like those of Bird's Chinese-American mother, Margaret, are banned. Never standing out, keeping a low profile, is what Ethan has strived for since her leaving three years before. Everyone watches each other, and un-American ideas bring dire consequences. If you look different, the watching is ever closer. Children could be replaced into a firmly patriotic family. As a perceived dissident, Margaret's child is at risk, and Ethan is determined that replacement will not be Bird's fate. Unwittingly, Margaret's poetry book, All Our Missing Hearts, has become the anthem of protest about the missing children. Protests are non-violent, mostly using art as the medium. A barrage of painted hearts, graffiti, yarn bombings and installations appear around the city. Hastily removed by the security police, they make their statements. But violence does erupt, sometimes in small, personal ways or through crowd control. Bird remains mystified and angry by his mother's disappearance, but when a letter arrives with a drawing of cats, it sparks a memory of folk tales that his mother had told him. Then he meets Sadie, the lively, outspoken African-American child, replaced, desperately looking for her parents. He starts to realize what's happening, and when she disappears, he's on full alert. The clues lie in the library, and he finds an underground network of librarians seeking the children who have disappeared. To find his mother and answers, Bird follows the trail to New York. 
Led by vivid characters, he moves forward to uncover an act of defiance that could be the beginning of much-needed change. As a Chinese American, Ng draws on her own story of being other, and in a recent interview said that because she was also shy, this had made her an observer, an advantage as a writer. And observe she does. The smallest detail catches her pen and merges into the story. That we all grow up on stories, folk and fable, is something that perhaps we forget, but the parables they represent stay with us. Words remain in our memories. We're not born to hate or be suspicious. These learned characteristics are the psychology of politics to control. There is an ethereal folktale quality to the writing, and sometimes I felt that I had been transported into a dreamlike world. But Ing's messaging is very clear, and her words will linger—a sharp awakening to what could be. Are words and art strong enough tools to fight oppression? Can they affect change? It's a heart-wrenching novel that explores that bond between mother and child, love, and what lengths we will go to live without fear.
That track was I'm Beginning to See the Light by Ken Higgins, right here on Fine Music Radio, and I'm your host, Paige Nick. For our final review on today's show, we welcome Vanessa Levenstein, who picked up the much-anticipated new novel by international best-selling author Maggie O'Farrell. In fact, this is one of the books Butcher mentioned earlier. O'Farrell is one of my favorite authors. While I was traveling in the UK recently, I was interested to note that on one train I took, there were two people on opposite ends of the carriage, both reading copies of her previous novel, Hamnet, which has had such critical success. So let's hear what O'Farrell has been up to since she wrote that one. Welcome, Vanessa. That's my last duchess painted on the wall, looking as if she was alive. The lines of Robert Browning from his poem The Last Duchess and the epigraph to Maggie O'Farrell's novel The Marriage Portrait. The poem is loosely based on Alfonso, the Duke of Ferrara, who commissioned both the portrait and, it was believed, the murder of his wife. O'Farrell uses the literary equivalent of infrared thermography to decipher the story behind the painting. A fascinating premise indeed, so it was with great excitement. I opened the first page of the book. Even load-shedding couldn't deter my enthusiasm, as a precariously positioned candle and cell phone light illuminated the pages. Maggie O'Farrell is one of my favourite authors. In the hand that first held mine, she explores the connection between places, people, and the strongest connection of all, a mother and child. The novel is spellbinding. Her memoir, I Am, I Am, I Am, Seventeen Brushes with Death, is astonishing and an insight into how the author's intuition was shaped. And then my heart stopped beating, or so it felt, as I devoured Hamnet. Reading this extraordinary book about the wife of William Shakespeare and the death of their son during the plague, while we were in hard lockdown, felt prophetic. So saying I was disappointed by the marriage portrait feels disloyal. I wanted it to be brilliant, but it lacked the depth of Hamlet, and it felt more splash than substance. Like Hamlet, the book is set during the Renaissance, this time in Italy. Lucretio de' Medici's father is a duke. She lives in a palazzo with her parents, siblings and servants. She's only twelve when her elder sister Maria dies, and so she inherits her sister's fiancé, the Duke Alfonso, who needs offsprings. Now, from the start, we know that Lucretia's marriage is a dangerous one. Page one states as much. It comes to her with a peculiar clarity, as if some coloured glass had been put in front of her eyes, or perhaps removed from them that he intends to kill her. We never really get to know the characters intimately. It's almost as if the author painted superficial portraits of the whole bunch. The sociopathic duke, the wild at heart creative but tragic hero in Lucretia, the gentle artist and the devoted servants. Even the symbolism of the incarcerated tiger feels contrived. When you know from page one how the book is going to end, the plot isn't going to keep you turning the pages, so it has to be the characters, and they just didn't live up to the challenge. Perhaps the portrait of Browning's Duchess can't be lifted from the canvas and given new breath, or perhaps just like any job, we all allowed an off day at work. However, if you're a Farrell fan, read it regardless, and you might find that your infrared literary insights may well spot hidden treasures that I simply missed. 
And that wraps up our second ever book choice, Publisher's Choice, here on Fine Music Radio. We'll be back in two weeks' time with our next book choice on Tuesday the 29th of November from 12 to 1 p.m. So be sure to diarize it and let's make it a book date. My thanks as always to Mwandi Lobi and the FMR support team for helping us make this show what it is. There are a lot of moving parts and Mwandi always manages it like such a hero. Also thanks to our sponsors on this show, Penguin Random House, Jonathan Ball Publishers and Exclusive Books. We couldn't be more thrilled to be working with you and hearing what you're publishing. So until next time, happy reading. We'll be playing out with When the Lights Go On Again All Over the World, sung by Vera Lynn. And here's hoping all our lights come on again soon. When the lights go on again All over the world And the boys are home again All over the world And rain or snow is all That may fall from the sky above A kiss won't mean goodbye But hello to love When the lights go on again All over the world And the ships will sail again all over the world Then we'll have time For things like wedding rings And free hearts will sing When the lights go on again All over the